Father, we come before your throne, and Lord, I, uh, as I read this report that comes from Valeri, Father, I just praise you for what you're doing, and that, Father, you've allowed us uh, 11 time zones away to be a part of it. Father, that's, uh, that's so totally awesome. And, Father, you're not done, and I praise you uh, for the amazing things that you're doing. Lord, uh, we come to look at your word this day, this evening. Father, I ask that you would help us, um, that we would see and that we would hear. And that, Father, uh, we'd understand that uh, you know the men, hearts of men. Father, you instruct us, you help us. And yet, Father, you have shown us over and over, both from your word and from our own personal experiences, that you bless obedience. And Father, I just pray that we hear what you say and we drink deep. And Father, we rest in the assurances of what you're doing to your glory and praise. Amen. Chapter 22, verse 1, if a man steals an ox. And now you're just going to deal with laws. These are what uh, in the legal profession is called case laws. Um, outcomes. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he will pay five oxen um, for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. It's retribution. If a thief is caught, now this is funny. Um, this is the first make my day law, in case you're curious. Uh, if a thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there is no blood guiltness on his account. <laughs> So if you're killed in the middle of a robbery, uh, you're just dead. But then it's funny because look at what it says next. <clears throat> but if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltness on his account. Okay, now you have the ability that you're awake. You have the ability that you can see what is happening. You know what is going on. And now what are you going to do? All right, you have the ability to make a decision. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, he will be sold. Uh, then he shall be sold for his theft. Okay, so you're, you're seeing that if... In the daylight, if there's a, an intruder uh, who, who is coming in um, and there's an, a possibility during the daylight that you will be able to get help on hand, uh, you'll be awake at what's going on, uh, then you will have to deal with that. Now he deals from verses, and then verse 4 is dealing with thieving also, thieves. If what he stole is actually found alive and in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. So uh, he will have to pay twice for whatever he has taken. Okay, now we drop into laws concerning property damage and laws concerning dishonesty or false witness in uh, the verses uh, 5 through 10 and we'll deal with those just real quickly if a man lets a field or a vineyard be grazed bare and lets his animal loose so that it grazes on another man's field he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. 
If a fire breaks out and spreads to the thorn bushes so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field itself is consumed, he who started the fire shall make restitution. Okay, and everybody says, well, what the heck does that mean, thorn bushes? That's how you guarded your grain. You would build a, you would grow, literally grow a circle of thorns and put a gate in the front of it. And you'd fill that circle with your grain as you harvested it. Why? I've seen some of the thorn bushes up there. they got thorns that are about that long. And you, I thought, you know, there's a deterrent. <laughs> you'd have to really want a loaf of bread uh, to, to get through that. But um, if the guy burns it, burns the thorns, then um, he has to pay for it. Okay, if a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. Okay, if the thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges. Okay, the guy who was watching the other guy's stuff to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. Okay, did he take it? And then claim that it was stolen. Okay. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for clothing, or for any lost thing about which one says, this is it. The case of both parties shall come before the judge. And he whom the judge condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any animal for him to keep and it dies or it is hurt or is driven away while no one is looking, then look what happens here in verse 11. An oath before Yahweh shall be made. Okay? Um, It's basically an oath of innocence. I swear that I didn't do it. All right, now, you know, you see this a lot today, uh, people making oaths and promises and stuff like that, and most of them are not even worth the paper that they, they're, they're written on. And the reason is, uh, there's not a fear of God. But look what it says. <clears throat> that he shall not lay his hands on his neighbor's property, or his uh, owner shall accept it, and he shall not make restitution. So he swears before God that he didn't do it, or he didn't ha- wasn't responsible for that. And the oath is before who? Now he's already said, "Don't make an oath." But now he's saying, "But in the case that you can't prove, then let him swear before me. Let him swear before me." But if he's actually stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner. Okay, so if the guy's scared of God, now listen, these guys, remember where they're at. Okay, you've got to remember where they're at because you keep thinking about this and you think about how many people have perjured themselves uh, before a judge and, and how many have taken an oath and have, have broken it and all the rest of it. But this is a group of people who are standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God is speaking to them on this, in these cloud and in this lightning and these flashing things. God, I mean, you know, and, and they're scared. They are terrified. They're saying, Moses, why don't you go talk to him? And you come back and tell us what he says. 
because they were afraid. And so you have that single voice and that work going on. And he says, if he says he hasn't done it, then let him swear before me. Okay. And you, you know, that is rattling some people's cages. And so they're all thinking about, well, you know, do I really want to do that? But if he has actually stolen verse 12 from him, he shall make restitution to the owner. He's going to give it back to the owner. Okay, give restitution. And he's already laid out restitution. If it's one oxen, what? Give him five. If it's one sheep, give him four. All right, so you've already seen a foundation has been laid. All right, verse 13 says, If it is all torn to pieces, let him bring the evidence, and he shall not make restitution for what he has been, for what has been torn to pieces. And he basically looks at it and says, An animal came in, some, whether it be a wolf or a mountain lion or something to this effect, has come in and has torn this up. And here's the, car, here's the evidence, here's the carcass. And he says, And he does not make restitution. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not with it, he shall make full restitution. Okay, he'll replace it. If the owner is with it, he shall not make restitution. If it is hired, it came for its hire. Okay, so if he was there for, say, breeding stock or something like that. I remember one time when I was living here in Castle Rock uh, that a guy's bulls kept getting into another guy's cows. And he didn't want the bulls on his cows. It was uh, it's a long story. But anyway, um, he didn't want them in. And so finally, one day they had gotten into the cows and the guy got just furious about it. And he loaded them up into his trailer and he brought them to downtown Castle Rock, turned them loose down on the courthouse yard. And said, there's your bulls. I brought them back for you. Uh, and uh, I thought that was fascinating because he said, you know, I kept telling you to keep your bulls off of my cows. And the guy said, you wouldn't do it. So uh, here's where your cows are. They look just like yours, don't they? And it's funny because I remember seeing a couple of the local cops going, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. So interesting. So, all right. Verse 16. 16 and 17, this is immorality. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her, he must pay a dowry for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry for the virgin. All right, you still pay for it. All right, basically what it is, um, if if a person, the word there it says, if a man seduces, it could be translated exploits. Uh, let's say he says, I'm going to marry you. I promise you that I'm going to marry you. Um, it sounds very familiar, but anyway, uh, it's, it's like it's to be the ongoing thing. Uh, in this time, there was a dowry that was paid. Uh, for for a daughter, and um, you know, is whatever the the father of the daughter said, and so he says that if a man seduces or exploits this woman, saying that he's going to marry her only so that he can sleep with her, then he has to pay the dowry. Okay, and then if the father says, you know what, you have shamed my daughter, and you don't get her, he still has to pay the daughter or the dowry. 
Okay, I think that's fascinating things. I think that'd be great. I think people should pay. <laughs> Sorry. I have a daughter. I'm allowed to say that. So, okay. <clears throat> then we move into um, basically what I, I would call religious obligations. And, and he's fascinating here because it's he's basically just running through. These are things that I want you to pay attention to. And it, he starts it out there. You shall not allow a sorceress to live. Kind of blunt and to the point, isn't it? Just beat around the bush. Um, a person who practices the occult. is not to live. That's what it says. So, And it's funny because I hear uh, we have a, uh, a pastor, a retired pastor, ex-pastor or something, running for president, and I hear all these people talking about, he'll want to make a money, United States a theocracy. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> That'll work well. Um, Israel's not even a theocracy. Uh, and they have been commanded to be. Uh, and yet they are not. There's actually a sect in, in, in Israel today who does not recognize the Israeli government. They said that they are an adulteress. They are not of God. They are idolatrous. And they will not. Uh, they do have the shekel uh, in Israel. And they will not trade in the shekel. They will trade only in United States dollars. And the reason is, is they will not identify the Israeli government as a, a legitimate government because it is not a theocracy. Uh, and it's a fairly large group of people uh, that live in Israel, uh, Israelis. Uh, and I, I find that fascinating to me. Uh, but they're the ones that if you drive your cab through their community on the Sabbath, they'll throw rocks at it. Okay, but I, my response is, but I thought on the Sabbath you weren't allowed to lift anything more than a fig leaf. <laughs> so, real light rocks you got there, Bubba. But anyway, it's just, you know me. Okay, okay, whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. And everybody says, well, what in the world is that got to do stuck right in there? Where are they going? Do you anybody know? We're at Sinai. We're down on the Arabian Peninsula. Do you know where? what's next on the map? Go to the Promised Land. Canaan, which is who? Run by the Canaanites. It's on their laws. It's okay to cohabitate with an animal. Their law says so. And God says, let me make a note. <laughs> No, no animals. He who sacrifices to any God. Now see, watch what he, what he does is because he's starting to set it out to say, listen, you go into this land. I need to tell you something. You need to run these people out. Why? Because they will draw you to idolatry. And if you look at the first series of years that Israel is in the land, what is their big problem? Idolatry. They kind of buy a little bit of this and buy a little bit of that. And, oh, it ain't that big a deal. And it started, I mean, um, well, it started, David did it. But um, Solomon was really bad at it. Um, and, and part of his reason, 
part of the reason he was so bad at it is try to keep peace in his family. He had all these women that he married that were from all these different races, and 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 they all brought their religions in, and to keep peace in, you know, when he's trying to watch Monday Night Football, sure, go ahead, have your little idols and stuff like that. So, um, this is not a lot changed since the time of the Bible, but uh, but I, I share that with you because he goes, he who sacrifices to any other god other than God, than Yahweh alone, shall be what utterly destroyed okay and 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 you see this because he's preparing do not try to blend their religions and ours and what i am giving you verse 21 says you shall not wrong a stranger uh, or oppress him for you were strangers in the land of egypt So he's setting it to a position that he says, I want, I want, I want you to pay attention. Then he hits this one. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. All right. He's boom, right out of the shoot. He's giving special attention. Listen, God gives special attention to widows and orphans. God gives special care to widows and orphans. And guess what? God gives special wrath for those who abuse widows and orphans. That's fascinating to me. If you afflict him at all, And if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry. And my anger, now think about this. You got two million people sitting at the foot of this mountain. And God said, if any beast gets up on the mountain, you stone the beast. And you got cloud and lightning and trumpets and flashing and God's voice speaking. Okay. And I, and I doubt if it sounds like George Burns. Okay. He says, my anger will be kindled and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. I mean, that, that's good. That's going to get your attention. Make note of that one. He said, he's going to get mad and I'm dead. <laughs> Okay, so don't mess with the widows. Don't mess with the orphans. Why? I kill you. And you have this big mountain with this big cloud and this lightning flashing and all the rest on there. I'm betting you that it was an impressive moment to hear God say, I will kill you. Then verse 25, it's funny because he goes from widows to orphans to what I I, I, I concern for the poor. If you lend money to my people, okay, now this would be, this would imply because I'm lending money is that somebody was in financial problems. All right. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him and you shall not charge him interest. Now I want you to know something. It is lawful by God's law to charge interest, but he says not to the poor. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35 and 37. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 19 and 20. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 10 through 13. And Psalm 15, verse 5 says that it is lawful to lend money 
had interest, but you are to negate it. It's not supposed to be uh, unbearable for a person. But he says, to my poor, that who are my people, he says, do not charge them interest. Why? You're trying to help the people get up and be on their own. Okay, then verse 26 says, if you, <clears throat> if you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, here, take my coat. Uh, I was looking at a truck the other day, and I told him I wanted to take it out for a test drive. And I wanted my mechanic to look at it. And the guy says, well, where are you going? I told him I was going to Kiowa. And he says, well, you know, you got your driver's license. He says, I'm leaving you my truck. <laughs> my truck is worth more than your truck. Okay? Uh, I'll be back for my truck. All right? All right, so, you know, he, you know, he let me go. Uh, why? But here, this is kind of the way I see this. Um, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you shall return it to him before sun sets. What? Well, I never brought the guy's truck back before it got cold, too. Okay, but here, why? For that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And it shall come about that when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. All right? This is fascinating. Why? People didn't have a lot. I mean, even when they left Egypt, they didn't have a lot. They took what they could carry. But let's be realistic. You're not going to take a lot when you're going on a 40-year camping trip. Okay? Of course, they didn't know they were going for 40 years, but... They did know they were going to be doing some camping. All right. Look at verse 28. This is fascinating because you see this in Acts chapter 23. You shall not curse God nor. Now look what it says. Okay. We always like that one. Shall not curse God. All right. All right. I like that. What about that next phrase? We're in the political cycle and how often do you want to curse those people? You're wasting good television time. Okay, do we really need this many debates? You're not saying anything. Nor curse a ruler of your people. Okay, Paul did this in Acts 23 verse 5. Curse you! Caiaphas was standing at the... You know what they did? They smacked him in the mouth. Okay? Paul violated the law of the Lord. Why? You're not to do it. Why? Who put the leaders over us? I remember talking to a friend of mine who lives in a, um, who pastors and ministers in um, a military dictatorship. And a guy wanted to uh, bring about some. humanitarian aid and try to support some people and maybe even get some guns. And he said, no, I don't want to be no part of it. And he said, well, why not? He says, because God has put this group over us. And it is God's reasoning, and I will not go against it. And the guy asked him, he said, well, are they oppressive? He said, absolutely. Absolutely they are oppressive. They shoot innocent people and and do all kinds of things. He says, well, wouldn't it be? He says, I have not been brought here to overthrow the government. See, Christianity is not. Do you, you know, I think what happens to us, we get the, the pie in the sky view. Okay. Nowhere in Holy Writ 
Does it say we are going to make this place like heaven? Okay. This place is going down the toilet. It will be destroyed and it will be judged. And you know what? There is nothing that you and I can do about it. We have to understand that. All right. We are not here for social activity. We are not here for social change. We are here to present the kingdom of God to those that God would sovereignly receive. And that's all we're here for. I am not here to mold my government or my elected officials into the image of Christ. All right. And, and I try, I, I, that drives me nuts because I hear this and, and I hear this quote, well, will they get the evangelical block? You know what? If they say that 80% of Americans are Christians and of the 80%, 7% believe that the Bible is the word of God, I don't want them people picking the next president. All right. And, you know, they say of the 80% of Americans, they say 50% believe that if you live a good life, you'll go to heaven. We ain't read your Bible. I heard the president of the United States say that the God of the Islam and the God of Christianity are the same. No, they're not. Uh-uh. They're not spelled the same. <laughs> they don't act the same. And not only that, my God, I get really offended if you keep saying that. Um, you don't believe me? Why do they keep calling God Mother Nature? He takes that personally and he floods New Orleans. He blows down Florida. <laughs> I am not a woman. <laughs> and if you keep calling me Mother Nature, I'm going to come down there and show you Father God. <laughs> so, I mean, I see it all over the place. He, he don't tolerate that. Let's, let's press on. <laughs> All right. But it, it, you don't curse the people who are in authority over you. I don't curse them. I don't curse them. Now, note there, it doesn't say you have to trust them either. But <laughs> that's not in the text. Okay. So, verse 29. You shall not delay the offering of the harvest. This is fun here. Of the... Of, Offerings from your harvest and your vintage, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Don't slow down in your worship time. What is due me, give to me. All right? And it's true. Think about it. I've talked to people before. I said, you know what? If you miss one Sunday, the second Sunday's the easiest. Okay? And then the next thing you'll know, it'll be four Sundays. And the next thing you'll know, it'll be six months or eight months. And then your conscience starts bothering you. And you say, well, I haven't been in church and I'm kind of embarrassed, so I won't go back. And what he's saying here is when it's time to give unto me, what? Do it. All right? You know what? Even if you don't feel like it, you don't feel like it. You know, I, I use a phrase how sick do you have to be to stay out of church? And how sick do you have to be to stay out of work? Okay, now some of you are contagious. All right, stay away. But for the most part, when you think about it, what is my priority? Well, I have to go to work. I'm saving my sick days for comp time or whatever you do. So, 
You shall do the same with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you shall what? Give it to me. Now look at verse 31. You shall be holy men to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh torn to pieces in the field, and you shall... You shall throw it to the dogs. Okay, he said, he's sitting here saying, you know what? It's one thing to say you're holy to me. Here's my laws and regulations. This is you have been set apart, but you're set apart not only because you are my people, but you also need to be set apart in your conduct. Don't act like the pagans. Okay, you're not set apart in just name. You are set apart in your conduct too. Be holy to me because you are my people, but be holy to me in your actions too. And if you look at a lot of these laws, that's what they are. They set the people apart. You have a a special calling. This is the firstborn he's talked about in chapter 4, verse 22. Set them apart, not just in name, but also in their conduct. In their conduct. You know, I see people, men who are wanting to wear their hair long. And they say, well, here's the deal. Um, You know, the Bible says that, you know, if you take this special vow, then you can let your hair grow. Well, the Bible says that if you take this special vow, you have to let your hair grow. But you don't have a woman and you don't touch alcohol and you don't touch dead animals. And and I said, you want to do all those? Just because you want to wear a ponytail? And, well, that's not right. Okay, good, good. Uh, I watched uh, an old movie. It was 1959. Uh, Hedy pray played Delilah. And it was Samson and Delilah. And the guy who played Samson, I've seen before, but I can't remember his name. Uh, and it was, it was one of those old, like, this is like before Ben-Hur. Um, and, uh, and it was funny to watch Hollywood's nuances into the story of Samson and Delilah and, and the typical, you know, he cuts his hair off and the Philistines haul him out and, and all the rest of it. But the truth of the matter is the reason that Samson lost his strength was that it says that the spirit left him. Okay, and it was the Spirit of God who was giving him his strength. And when he, uh, and I mean, Samson had a, a few problems. Uh, to say the least, he liked to get drunk. He was on a Nazarite vow, and getting drunk on a Nazarite vow is not a smart thing. Uh, he was definitely liked women. He definitely liked dead animals and, and making dead animals and weird stuff like that. So um, he, uh, uh, but it was funny to watch this because I think about it. Uh, they kept calling them Danites, um, and, and, and don't get me wrong, they were Danites, but. A little kid there, was his name was Saul. And he says, God has told me that you will be the first king of Israel. I was like, Saul was not a Danite. I mean, it's pleasant thought and, and good for Hollywood, but it don't work. Okay. Um, but I, I watched this and I think about us today and I said, do we really understand that we have been called to? Every child of God. And that calling to be set apart from the world, not to be entangled with the things of the world, okay, should be visible, should be a visible conduct. And this goes back a while. Chapter 23 says, you shall not bear a false report or do not join your hand with a wicked man and a man to be a malicious 
um, witness. All right. Um, boy, what does that say? How many times will we take sides? Basically, one through nine of this chapter uh, is dealing with uh, a bunch of what I call miscellaneous laws, and it's everything from um, getting two people to come together as a false witness against a third or to taking bribes. You shall not follow a multitude in doing evil. That means when there's a riot, don't be a part of it. Okay, when there's a mob, don't be a part of it. Nor shall you testify and dispute as to the turn aside uh, after a multitude in order to pervert justice. You know, right? do not come against the, the system to try to pervert it to your uh, benefit. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. I mean, if the poor man comes in and he has a dispute, you know, it's sort of like me that one time when they wanted to kick the blind guy for cussing out of the church. And I'm saying, and a poor blind man, you want to what? Uh, Bible says don't be partial just because they're poor and they're afflicted. If you if you meet your enemy's ox and his donkey, key word there, your enemies, wandering away, what do you do? Offer them to God. <laughs> And holy barbecue. No, you take him back to your enemy. Okay? See, this is fascinating. You know, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, do unto, you know, do unto others, they would, you know, stuff like that. You see that had been perverted. But here it says, if your enemy, you find his livestock out wandering, what are you supposed to do with him? Return him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him and you shall surely release it to him. You will cut the load loose. If he's loaded up with too much to carry and the animal is is falling under the load, then you are to release the load. You shall not pervert the justice due to the needy brother in his dispute. Do not stop it. Do not try to stop justice. Justice is just what it says. Keep far away from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. I'll take care of the guilty. I'll take care of it, God is saying. You shall not bring take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. You shall not oppress the stranger, since you yourselves know the feelings of being a stranger, because you were strangers in the lands of Egypt. Fascinating stuff. Okay, now he goes in, and this is fun, because now he goes in to the three feasts that are commanded that all Jewish males attend. Okay, but he's uh, in in verses 10 and 11. Uh, And then he comes right out of that and starts dealing with idolatry. You shall sow in your land for six years and gather in the... uh, in its yield. Okay, you farm your land, take care of your land for six years. Okay, on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow so that the needy of your people may eat whatever they leave uh, the the beasts of the field may eat, and you do the same in your vineyard and your olive groves. That's fascinating, don't you think? You you farm this land six years. The seventh year, you leave it alone, and the poor are allowed to go and take of your field. 
you know, because there's always, there'd be crops that come up, seed that would have fallen out that you didn't harvest, and it would come back and grow, but now the, the poor would take it. Six days you are to do your work. On the seventh day you shall cease from labor in order that your ox and your donkey may rest and the son of your female slave as well as the stranger may refresh themselves. So his work weekend was one day. Off work one day. Now concerning everything which I have said to you, be on your guard. Be on your guard. And do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Don't even talk about them. Don't even talk about these other gods. Then he says this, three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. Three times. You shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread. For seven days you will eat unleavened bread as I have commanded you and appointed a time in the Mount of Abib. And in that, in it, you came out of Egypt and none shall appear before me empty handed. Celebrate it seven days before me. Also, you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the end gathering at the end of the year you, <clears throat> when you gather the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year all of your males shall be appear before the Lord your God. And you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor the fat of my feast in the, <clears throat> to remain overnight until morning. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God, and you should do not boil the young goat or the milk of its mothers. And I'll deal with that in a minute. Okay? <clears throat> what you're seeing here is him setting up, I'm getting ready to take you into a pagan country. A really nasty country. The Canaanites were awful. The things that they used to do would are insane. Okay? And God's getting ready to take that land from them and give it to the nation of Israel. All right? And he's wanting them to stay away. He's saying, this is the seventh year. It's a sabbatical year. There's a benefit for the land. And this is a unique time. It's unique to Israel. But yet there was even in that was a benefit to the poor. But he says, I need you to avoid idolatry. Because when you bring idolatry in, you're causing the name of the false to be remembered. And you don't do that. That is the prohibition that you start with the intermarrying of nations. I don't want you to be the part of these other nations. Nothing to do with these other nations. Well, listen, think about it. When they, when you have another, uh, uh, when you marry into another nation, take a, a, a wife or a husband of another nation, who do they take their oath of marriage to? a false god and so now you have lifted the false god to the same level as the true god and he says i don't want no part of that or brought him down you're putting him on equal i I mean you know i i I watch people i i get asked a lot of times to do weddings okay will you you know will you do my wedding no well what if i come and do some counseling with you no I won't do it. 
I only will do the weddings of the people who sit and minister alongside and sit under our teaching. Period. I don't have, I'm not going to do anybody else's. Why? Because I don't know who you are, and therefore, if I don't know who you are or what your walk is like, then I do know this for emphatically. Who are you taking an oath in front of? And I will not allow you to take your false God and elevate him to any position near my God. Uh, and, and, and I try to get people to see that. And I mean, well, I just, no, I have no part of it. If the person is not in our congregation, has not been a part, has not walked with us, has not served with us, I'm not going to do it. I won't do it. Well, that sounds awful. Well, fine. You know what? In Colorado, you can get married. You can place your vows in front of a microwave. It doesn't matter. And, you know, a lot of these times, they'd be better off if they did. It's cheaper. Well, and I, I, well, it's true. You're mocking what God has done. And that's what he's trying to tell Israel here. Okay. But I want your people, I want all of your males, I want all of your males three times a year to present, to be present for these three specific feasts. There's a central location, and we'll see it here in the future, a central sanctuary. And you know what is amazing about this? This has a benefit that is so amazing. When you draw all the males of the whole country three times a year, how are you uniting the country? I mean, that's amazing. You will unite them socially, but you're also uniting them religiously. They're all coming. Okay? And here's the thing. They're all going to leave their families and they're going to have to trust the Lord to protect their holdings. Their families, their wives, whatever their possessions are. And the, these are all three phenomenal feasts. Uh, the Exodus, the, un, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is for the Exodus. It's a time of celebration. It's a time that says, wow, God has released us from slavery. The feast of the harvest is for God's provisions. Look what God has given us. God has given us a harvest. The feast of, uh, of the end gathering is the feast of thanksgiving. Look at what we have, the final harvest we'll have for the winter. They changed this to the fe- feast of weeks in chapter 34 and 22. And the first fruits... Uh, in chapter 34, 22, you see this brought about in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. But you also hear this other one here. The end gathering is also called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Okay? You all remember that one? Every one of you do. There was a great celebration at the time of the Feast of Booths. And they went up on the Mount of the Transfiguration. He pulled back his... Humanity showed the glory of the sun and Elijah and Moses was there. And Peter says, let's build an altar. Okay, why? Because we're celebrating and I'm thinking this is a special one. Then at verse 19, it says, do not boil the young goat. Why? Canaanites boiled had a ritual where they would boil the young goats as a sacrifice in mother's milk. In mother's milk. It was a commanded feast for the pagan deities. Why? Mother's milk is where 
the life had come from. So you boil it in its mother's milk. It was blasphemous to God. Chapter 20, behold, this is some good stuff right now. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Okay, now look what he says. This is fascinating. 23 kind of tells us who the angel is, but I want you to look at it. He says, I'm going to send an angel before you. All right. He's going to guard you along the way. We're going into the promised land. You're going to have some hardship in front of you, but don't worry. I have an angel in front of you. Be on your guard before him. Okay. You know, pay attention to when you bump into this guy and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your transgression since what? My name is in him. Okay, so this angel has the ability to pardon transgressions. Okay, now what angel has got the ability to pardon transgressions? Okay, now remember the word angel. Every time you hear angel, you think about some girly looking thing with long hair and wings. Okay, the word literally means messenger. Okay, and the angels that you that are you see in the Bible are all males. Okay, and a couple of them you don't want to bump into in a dark alley. Okay, I mean, there, there's a few. That one that messed with the 185,000 Assyrians one evening. Um, he's, I don't know, he's a redneck. Okay, but he says, "My name is in him." Okay, when you read that phrase, anytime you see in his name. Okay, that means all that he is. Okay, so there's an angel that he's talking about here that all that he is is what? Me. Okay. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, did you see that? If you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. Verse 23, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites and the Hittites, the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I will completely destroy them. Okay. What you have here is God saying, you're going into a place, it's going to have military conflict, and it will not be by your military skill, but the presence of my angel will destroy these. Okay? Now listen, he says, the Lord's name is within him. I've heard people try to tell me that what he's talking about here is Moses, following Moses. Listen, this ain't Moses. This ain't any of Moses' associates. Okay? The key to victory, key to the victory of taking this land has got nothing to do with Moses, ain't got nothing to do with Joshua, ain't got nothing to do with Aaron, ain't got nothing to do with the Levites, ain't got nothing to do with any of them. The key to taking this promised land is this angel, okay? And his name is in him. Whose name? Yahweh's name is in him. Okay, what you have here is what is called a pre-incarnate Christ. This is Christ before he takes on the veil of humanity. He's going before this people. 
Verse 24 says, You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor according to their deeds, but you will utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. Sacred pillars need to be removed. Remember what he said? I don't even want their names mentioned. I don't want their sacred anything even brought to bear. Why? This angel in my name who you are to obey, who has the ability for forgiveness, who is me, will go before you and you don't have to worry about a thing. But you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will remove sickness from your midst. Do you ever read that verse? That's a fascinating verse. That's a fascinating verse. 25 and 26 says that if you have proper worship, do you know what brings rewards? That's what it says. Proper worship brings rewards. You'll have a good harvest. You're going to have food. You're going to have water. Guess what? You're going to have health. Okay? Listen, there will be no miscarrying. That's a fascinating promise, don't you think? You will not lose your children. And the barren or barren in your lands, I will fulfill the number of your days. You're going to have fertility and pregnancies and you can't even get rid of the little buggers. But there's a key to it. What is it? I would listen to his angel. I would be obedient. Okay, how, look, look what he says. Look what verse 27 says. I will send my terror ahead of you. That's fascinating. And throw into confusion all the people among whom you come. And I will make all of your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you that they may drive them out. Okay, it's, it's literally... That's, that, that hornet's phrase is a figure of speech that is a panic that will be produced by the power of God. Uh, have you ever seen what humans do when the hornets take off? Okay? I mean, now, if, if you stand in third person and watch them, it's fascinating. Okay? You're trying to figure out who's more confused, the hornet or the person. Because the person is doing some very odd things. And it doesn't seem to have any rhyme nor reason to what they're doing. That's the phrase he's doing. He says, my terror will make these people look like there are hornets among them. My fear. It's going to be the effects of my angel. And he reminds them the victory is coming. And they don't have anything to do with the victory except for one thing. Worship me the way I want to be worshipped. Do it the way I say to do it. I will send my terror ahead of you, and I will throw the confusion of the people among whom you come. I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send the hornets ahead of you and they will drive them out. The Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hivites before you, Hittites before you. I will not drive them out in a single year that the land may not become, that the land may not become desolate and the beast of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little. 
until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. He's basically saying, listen, I'm going to give you a detail on this. It's going to be gradual, but it will be absolutely effective. Okay, if I just run everybody out of this huge area, guess what happens? You can't take, you can't absorb the, the area, but it'd be a gradual absorbing of the area and you'll take care of it as it grows. I will fix your boundaries from the Red Sea. Okay, that, that'd be the Gulf of Aquaba. Okay, from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines. Okay, that would be all the way from the Red Sea all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, Sea of the Philistines. And from the wilderness to the rivers Euphrates. Okay, the wilderness is the Negev. That's that southern part of Israel. It's right there on the, uh, the border of the uh, Arabian Peninsula. All the way to the Euphrates. Anybody want to know, guess where the Euphrates is? That's Iraq. That means you don't have no Lebanon, you don't have no Syria, you don't have no Jordan. You have Israel. Israel's already way smaller than God has promised. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land of the land into your hand, and you will drive them out before you. But look what he says. In this area, you shall make no covenant with them. Or with their gods. You know what that means? No peace treaties. No peace treaties. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Why? Because I said that I will produce in you... um, Blessing and health and wealth and water and food and children if you worship only me. If you go beyond that, then I'm against you. And you'll watch in the creation of the nation of Israel what happens. They keep wanting to dabble with these other gods and God has to come in. That's the reason the whole tribe of Dan was completely cut off. The tribe of Dan um, is, is not in the Israeli covenant uh, of uh, God's fulfillment. Okay? That's fascinating. Benjamin's fine. Dan ain't. I think the Mormons are the tribe of Dan. Well, they think they are too. No, they do. They teach that, that they are the tribe of Dan. They say that they are the lost tribe of Israel. And I said, there's a key phrase there, lost. (laughs) So, okay. But they believe that they are the tribe of Dan. And you know what? They may be. But I would not want to be in the tribe of Dan. They are a step above Edomites. And Edomites were wild dogs. And that's not a good thing. Okay, so what you have here is God laying the foundation and, he's, and you see these subtle warnings against what? Idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything of, that all of a sudden becomes more valuable than God. And I fear for the church today because a lot in the church today fear or have a, a value on stuff that is temporal at best. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, in your faithfulness, you continue to help us and to strengthen us. And Lord, you continue to grow us and to care for us. Father, I'm 
what an encouragement to know that if we worship in the mannerisms of your will and your way, Father, uh, there is blessing. And Lord, I just pray that we would draw to that. Uh, Father, I pray that when I look and I read that the men are to set aside time, uh, you know, and one for seven days to draw on a feast of, um, of, of remembrance unto you. Lord, that uh, we would do that. We'd do that with joy. We'd do that knowing that you want us. We are the firstborn of many fruit. We are uh, a royal priesthood. We are precious to you. We are earthen vessels with a precious treasure inside. And Lord, um, even as I see this angel is in my name, I think about your people, and they are in your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness all of these centuries. And Father, may we draw to you and you alone. In Christ's name, amen.